So we've been talking about servanthood and, and learning to serve and stepping into servanthood. And, and serving is the most critical thing that any one of us can ever experience. And it isn't, it isn't that we, do, we serve to, to be self-gratified, but there is something that matures a person when they learn to serve. The most immature people on the planet is who? Infants. Infants are the most immature because they haven't learned to do anything but what? Demand. So if you don't understand the importance of, of changing from your demanding mentality as a little baby to the place of learning to give back, then you'll always be a demander. But when we get to the place that we should be spiritually, we learn to give back to others. Not on what we receive and not that people uh, look at us, but just simply the fact of, of it's rewarding to give and, and serving. So in the book of Haggai, in chapter 2, is where we're going to go. And I make reference to this passage a lot because I think it's so critical in every one of our lives. Verse 9 says this, The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, says the Lord of hosts. If you have ever had a family that is full of chaos, and everything is always drama, and there is always bickering, and there is always fighting, and there is always division, Friend, there is nothing that you desire more. It's not money you desire. It's not fame. It's not fortune. The thing you desire when you are in a family or you're in a household that everything is always divisive is you desire peace. That's what you want because there's nothing any more valuable than peace in the home. Because when everything is always explosive and it's always erratic and there's never direction, there was never any contentment. I don't care how much money you have, and I don't care how much you have saved, and I don't care how many children you have. If it's chaotic, it is miserable. And so about this passage, the reason I think it's so critical that the glory of this latter house will be greater. And I know this is not talking about maybe your personal house. But let me explain something to you about the truths in this word. The truths in this word are kind of unilateral. They just cover things. Have you, I've known people who, who weren't even believers and, and they learned how to apply some of the spiritual truths of the gospel and the word in their life and it worked. It just made their life different. It didn't get them to the place of salvation, but they understood the principles of giving. Giving of themselves, giving of tithe, giving of servanthood and the rewards in it. But in this passage, and let me just stick with my notes, why do you always make reference to this so often? I make reference to this because there's people in this room that have dreams of something getting better. I have, I have this, make this all the time because there's some of you that still have expectations of something becoming greater in your family or in your personal life. If you don't think the latter can be better than the former, then friend, you're living a depressed life. And you don't have any dreams of anything ever changing, right? So why do I say this and share this so often? Because I believe the latter house is supposed to be greater than the former. And it doesn't matter what the circumstances are and what you've been through. I could sit here, and most of you know my wife and I's story, the things we've been through. You don't know everything, but we've been about as low as you can get in life, and we've experienced some of the greatest highs of life. But the lows can get mighty low, and in the, regardless of the times of the past, we're believing the latter house will be greater. The second part is this. Uh, why should we be concerned about the latter house? Because you are a fool if you're not. You are absolutely foolish if you're not thinking down the road. You're absolutely foolish as a mother, as a father, as a single adult, as a married couple, if you're not thinking about down the road at some point. Because if you don't have that ability, then you're just living for the now. And if you just live for the now, you're only living for you. 
And the book of Haggai says that the latter house will be greater. And let me tell you, you say, well, you don't know my scenario. And here's what's great about Haggai chapter 2 and verse 9. If you go back to verse 7, it says this. I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. And the reason I wanted to bring that into this, into this mix is because oftentimes we think that we're too far. Oh, it can, never, it can never work. We have a little trick here to keep you awake. We don't let anybody go to sleep here. You notice in the worship we have one little sudden burst. But, okay, whatever. Anyway. Okay. It probably is true. When you don't get to speak one week, you get kind of freaked out when you get back up to speak. So let me go into this. Um, these next two verses that we just read says that everything, will, I will shake the nations and the desire of all nations shall come. And let me tell you what changes a lot of desires in people's lives. I have a son that's at John 3, uh, 16, down in um, Arkansas, Batesville area, Charlotte area. And um, you know what shook him? There's been a variety of things in his life that has been horrible. There's a variety of things in his life that stunk really bad. But it wasn't to the place that something really shook him that he had ever seen his need to change. And some of you in this room, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you have talked about it, where you've been, what you've been through. And I was talking to a gentleman in the church yesterday, and, and he says, you know, the thing that's so sad about addictions and how you live is it took you so many years to get how bad you were, but when you abandon your walk with God, you don't go through 30 years of getting back there. You instantly jump right back into the mess you were before. It's like a week, and you're just as stupid as you were before. See, this passage here says this. You will be shaken. Your faith will be shaken. Things in life won't be fair, and your life won't always go the way you maybe you planned it. But I'll tell you this. Verse, seven, verse 8 says this. But he has the resources. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, says the Lord. And often, when we read the terms of silver and gold, it doesn't literally always mean substance, silver and gold, but it says that I have the resources. I have the answer. I have the direction in your life. And I have the ability to get you from where you are to where you need to go. You see, silver and gold is great. And if you have a lot of it, man, that's awesome. I'm happy for you. But it is not the literal silver or gold that gets you into the greater place in the latter, in the latter house. It's a process of time and surrender, and you're giving your heart into the Lord. Let me go through the uh, notes here real quick. He says, I will shake you, and what happens when you get shook? Your health is challenged. Tragedy strikes your family. Troubles begin to arise. Family issues. You have money. We always respond, and we respond differently. If you've had a tragedy in your life, and you know, I can tell you lots of things about tragedies, there's always a response when you get shook about things. But how do you respond? How do I respond? Where do I turn to? And in this passage it says our one desire comes when we turn back to the place of the one who has the answers to our issues. A desire will come. The only thing that can fill is his glory, his presence, his direction, his deliverance. Verse 8 is the resources. You don't have to have shortage of them. And often we think, well, if I just had this or I just had that, and I'll be honest with you, my wife and I years ago would sometimes fall into that. I know what it is to live below poverty, and we did it for years. Some of you may think you have it hard, and I know some of you really do. <clears throat> but the thing that I found out over the years, I remember back in the 90s, we were making about $13,000 a year. Dude, you can go, where's Richard at? 
You can go to McDonald's and make more than $13,000. Am I right, Richard? Absolutely. You can work part-time at Busy Bee and make more than, and I was working full-time making about $13,000 a year. I went and asked for a raise, and I went all the way up to 15000 and honestly, I thought, dude, we, we've hit it. We are on it. We are on this. We are, there's, a, there's a tire shop over in Nursery Springfield, but I'm not going to say what it's called. But dude, we are honking rich. We've got an extra $100 a month. It is amazing where we are now. <clears throat> One of the things I found out at all those days of our young years of marriage <clears throat> is learning to appreciate every stage you go through. Always appreciate from wherever you started, wherever you've come from. But here's the deal. Every one of us have a place we need to go. Go back to Haggai chapter 1, if you will. Um, My wife and I are blessed above and beyond anything we ever could have dreamed or imagined. We really have been. Our kids are straight. Our kids are good. Leighton has been such a blessing. Alan has been such a blessing. Tyson's on his way to being a greater blessing. And our grandkids, just so many things are so blessed. But let me tell you, there was a lot of nights and a lot of days where things weren't so blessed. A lot. There was a, a lot of nights you don't sleep. There's a lot of times you, and many of you, we've heard me phrase to this, make reference to this, you go to bed sick, you wake up sick, you go all day sick, you never know what's going to go wrong next, what's bad's going to happen, etc. But one of the things I can tell you that, my wife is an extremely strong lady, but one of the things that, that never really happened is we never deviated Regardless of how the shaking took place, we never deviated from our commitment to him. Whether we made $13,000 a year, we tithed on our $13,000. We gave other things, done other things. As it progressed over the years and the Lord blessed, different things continued to happen. But here's the key. If you and I don't learn how to be faithful when times are hard, you'll never know how to be faithful when times become easier. We forget it. And in this passage, in the guy was talking about in chapter 2, it's been great. You know, the latter house would be better and greater. But chapter 1 really begins to reveal some truths. Before we can ever get to that latter place, we have to understand who we are in the Lord. In Haggai chapter 1 and verse 3, <clears throat> Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lying waste. It's talking about the needs of the church. It's talking about the needs of others. And it's really easy to get content with just your family. I'm just going to stop here for just a second. Um, I don't know where I really wanted to go for sure on this, but I'm just going to stop and go. Uh, I'm just too busy. Uh, My focus has changed now. We're going to get to a verse here in just a minute, two different places in Haggai chapter 1. He says, consider your ways. And the thing is, often we never walk into the fullness of who God wants to be in our life and what He wants to do because we're too busy. We always have an excuse. It's just not that important to me anymore. At one time in my life, serving and giving and teaching and doing all the things was really important. Now, it's not as important. I'm at a different place. There is never a place of idleness, ever, in the life of a believer. There just is not a place of that. And we've been talking about servanthood, and that's kind of where we're going with this. Is it time for you... Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in sealed houses, and this house lie in waste? Now therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, and you bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there is none warm. He that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. 
This is what the Lord says, consider your ways. And then he gives them instruction. Go up into the mountain, bring wood, and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified, says the Lord. And I'm going to go back to that in just a minute. Let me go, stay with my notes. There's nothing wrong with us building a home. There's nothing wrong with you having things, having a family. There's nothing wrong with you having the ability to enjoy your life. But the problem is this, when we begin to avoid teaching and helping and giving and serving and blessing others, we've missed out on the commission in the first place. Because as a Christian, we are to be Christ-like. And if you have a hard time serving other people, then you probably got some deficiencies. And how important is it that we learn not to live in a, an environment that's just comfortable? It's not always about being comfortable. What if somebody had not went out of their way and made things, uh, maybe, maybe a little discomfort for them, but just to make you comfortable? How many of you, if you go back in your past, whenever you didn't want anything to do with the Lord, and I'm talking to believers, and you've been in church now for a long time, and, and boy, you, you remember those guys at Bobby Blair that pursued you and pursued you, and, and you didn't want to hear them. You didn't want to hear about Jesus. You'd, you'd seen those Christian people. You'd seen how miserable they were. They all thought that you had to be depressed, and, and you had to never experience anything good, and you should always live in a state of poverty in your mind and how you think. And, but what if you never listen to these guys that persistently say, Bob, why don't you go with us? Bob, let me share this with you. And at some point, they get you cornered on a, on a fishing trip, and they begin to express to you that God is different than what you're thinking. He is not depressing. He is not just for people that are old. He's not just for people that are, that are desperate. He is a God who wants to reach into your life and change it and give you direction. How many of you have come out of a past where somebody was instrumental in your life that maybe your family never raised you in church, but somebody through a series of events brought you to a place of understanding grace? Understanding that there's more to life than just living the way you've always lived. Who was that person? I remember when my father pioneered the church, and my dad came from a poor family. He didn't have a lot of, he didn't have any religious raising at all his whole life. His mom and dad didn't go to church until he was senior in high school. And by that point, he's dating my mother. They get married and go off. My dad was basically a heather, and he didn't know anything. But after he was 27 years of age, he gave his heart to the Lord, and and a few years later, he went and started a work in a little bitty small community in Kentucky. And there was an older man by the name of Floyd Clevenger. And many of you have heard me share his name before. Floyd Clevenger went out of his way to bring Marvin along. Now, he was an elderly man. And he began to disciple my dad. Was it easy? Probably not. But my father never would have become the leader he was if Floyd Clevenger hadn't went out of his way. You see, this whole thing here, it's not time to stop. It's time to get started. It's not time to sit in our own little corner and not do anything. It's time to be doing something. And some of you are saying, well, I've tried to do this, tried to do that. Just because it's something you've tried to do doesn't mean that's the right thing for you to do. Uh, Sister Blau was sharing this morning a variety of things about servanthood. And servanthood is not about you want to do things that, that you can be seen in what you're doing. It's never about that. Never, never has been, never will be. And the moment that serving becomes something that you're seeing, it's no longer serving, it's, it's performing. Often we lose our understanding of what's really important. A life of excusing ourselves. Our focus has become more about us than a bigger plan that should be with us in the middle of it. What happens if the church doesn't see the house of God as important? 
What if we don't see the ministries and the things in this church as important? Bill brought it up a while ago, Brother Bill did about that we've got to expose us to a little bit of peach cobbler here so we can taste it and we can see that there's more to things than just watching it. Yeah, missions is important, but missions isn't just something we send to foreign soils. It isn't something we send somewhere else. Missions is you at work. Missions is the kicks for kids. Missions is the food we provide for people. Missions is the people that have neat clothes and we go buy clothes for us that nobody knows about. Those are mission things that we do without anybody ever knowing about it. Those are mission things that we do as individuals. And friend, this has to become individualized. For us to ever find fulfillment... And our call of duty, it's learning to serve. When we live in a house that's comfortable and everything goes our way and we never know what the, the gift of uh, sacrifice is about, then we never find the fulfillment in our walk with Christ. I'm going to wrap it up in just a second. Verse 7 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways, go up to the mountains, and bring wood, and build the house. And I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, says the Lord. For you looked much, and lo, it came to little, and when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, said the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in waste, and you run every man into his own estate. I want you to look at verse 8, and I think there's something really critical about this. I had a, uh, I had a brilliant idea probably six months ago, and I knew, man, I just knew this was going to be something I was going to get patented, and, and I was going to make hundreds of dollars okay maybe maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars and I had this idea and I was watching the news one day and it showed a graveyard and instantly when I seen all these tombstones I thought dude we need we need to get a patent on people's smartphones they can go there and read the barcode you know that encrypted code thing that you see when you go to a store and get prices I thought, dude we I got to get that marketed because people could go there and take their smartphone and, and scan those tombstones and see their family and watch a video of the one who's passed away on their phone and go back when they were born, hear family tell testimonies, how great they were, maybe watching them when they were a kid. I had this brilliant idea, and I was pumped. And I was trying to think how to do it. I talked to Bobby Joyner. He's the only person I shared it about with. And I shared it with him, and you know what he said? Dude, you need to make that in a barcode. Get this patent. Let's go run with this, and we'll both get rich. I said, I'm on it. So he started checking in his stuff. I started checking his stuff. I did research to see if it had already been done. It hadn't yet, to my knowledge. And, and so, dude, I called, contacted patent offices, and I was getting it patented. I already talked to several of them were calling me, and I was getting this idea of patent and, and kind of draw it out and, and the way it was going to work. And, and one day, for some reason, I, I looked it up again. And some person that God, how do I want to say this, that God loves too, Patented it in 2015. And you can get this little little smartphone scanner thing, whatever it is, on your headstone, and it'll pull up and go to your Facebook or a website and show you videos and pictures. I just knew that was gonna be that was gonna be our retirement. We're set, we're done. Hallelujah. But it didn't work. I'm gonna find my point. We consider our ways, and the part in verse 8 is this. Go up into the mountains and bring wood. And this is what I really want you to say with me. You may be here this morning and think, well, yeah, you know, I understand. You know, we need to give of ourselves. We need to volunteer. This is more than volunteering. This is, uh, this is becoming a life of servanthood, doing things for others, getting involved, making a difference. But the key that's in verse 8 is this. 
He said, go up into the mountain and get the wood. And you know what the Lord is telling us? How many of you know where I'm going? Anybody know where I'm going? He has already what you need before you ever ask. The wood is already there. The gold is already there. The resource is already there. I had the idea, and I really thought that was our resource. I thought that was a God-given invention that was going to come up, and we are going to be all things. And so now I'm looking for another idea. But the resource is there. And let me say this to you. The resources will never run out that you need. They will never run out. I don't care how much money you need. I don't care what you need in your business. There are resources to take care of whatever's going on in your life. Whether it's financial, whether it's spiritual, whether it's physical. The biggest thing that ruins us from receiving the, the, the things that God wants to, in, I guess, bestow upon us or, or place in our life is in the book of Mark in chapter 10. I'm just going to paraphrase this. Because in Mark chapter 10, verse 35 through 45 deals with, with an issue with two of the disciples, James and John, and they went to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, um, uh, we got a favor to ask. And, and Jesus said, man, what would you like to ask, guys? Because the guys didn't ask for favors very often. You know, they were all about serving and giving to other people. And, and James and John said, well, one of us wants to sit on your right hand and one of us wants to sit on your left hand when you come into your authority. And Jesus goes, dude, really? All this time? Kind of like a lot of us. All this time you've been churched and you should know being a Christian doesn't make you better than anybody down here that's an alcoholic. It doesn't make you any better than the biggest prostitute. It doesn't make you any better than the best drug addict, the greatest liar, the greatest manipulator, the most foul-mouthed person there is. It doesn't make you any better. It makes you a little wiser, a little more directed. So we have these two guys asking this for, for this position. And Jesus said, that's not what it's about. And then verse 45, he says something profound. I make reference to this. I've told this to Nick in the worship him more than once Jesus said the son of man came to serve not be served and when we do things and we get involved we have to do it because we want to I want to help somebody I want to make a difference there's not a there's not a manipulation there's not another agenda I'm a follower of Christ and he's compelled me to go do something I'm not going to live in a sealed house I'm not going to sit and just do things that just apply to me, but I've got to do things that affect others. Does this make any sense? The resources you need, he's already got them, if you just trust him. We're going to pray. And I'm going to challenge you this morning about stepping into servanthood. It may not be the thing that you thought you're supposed to do, because a lot of times the things we think we're supposed to do is not really where the Lord's leading us. Father, you've called us to, to be like you. You've called us to wash each other's feet, to pick up trash, change dirty diapers, to comb people's hair who can't comb it, to shave people's faces who can't shave them, to provide meals for people who can't provide them. Father, you've, you've called us to, to step in and provide shoes for people that are struggling and need shoes. You've called us, Lord, to teach a class on the faithfulness of God. You've called us to, to be the one that represents you, not to live in a house that's all perfect, but we, we abandon our responsibilities here. Father, I pray for every believer in this place. God, we will learn to serve, learn to give, and not get so consumed with just doing what we want. May not be comfortable serving, but God, we ask you for a miracle in every one of our homes. 
You have the resources for that spouse. You have the resources for those children. You have the resources for every need that we have.